0: Good morning, everyone. Is this on? I, I did remember to put it on. All right. Thank you, Sarah. That was absolutely great. Um if you our first-time guest, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor for Riverwood, and uh, I want to start with a question today. What? Oh, release kids. You guys you guys don't want to stay? All right, fine. Kids Creek, get out of here. I'm not cool enough. I was cool for about 17 seconds when I was 23. Uh, it, it faded after that. All right. Well, I want to start with a question. I would like you to think of the person that has been most caring in your life. Who is the most caring person you have ever known? Now, I realize that it's Mother's Day, so many of you are going to say mom, and that's okay. Some of you, though, because you're in church, you're going to feel the temptation to say Jesus, So let me amend my question. Who is the most caring person you've ever known after Jesus? All right, we'll just give him the the top spot. All right, so what I want you to do is think of that person and now turn to someone near you and share with them who that person is and why you would identify them as the most caring person you've ever known. All right, so go ahead. Turn to someone near you and share your most caring person. All right, hopefully most of you have had a chance to share the most caring person you have ever known. I hope none of you identified yourself. Uh, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of this exercise. All right, so now I'm curious, how many of you, and, and, and share uh, what you heard, not who you've identified, but what you heard, how many of you heard the other person say mom? Mom? All right, several hands went up. Okay, on Mother's Day, it makes sense that we've, we've got them on the brain. All right, but how many of you heard it was a friend? Okay, yeah, a few hands. A, a spouse or significant other? Okay, yeah, several hands. Uh, maybe like a healthcare worker? Uh, okay, yeah, I've, I've seen a few hands go up there. All right, what I want you to do now is I want you to think of the person you thought of, and now I want you to imagine you have not seen that person in, oh, let's just say, like two, three years, all right? It's been a, been a long span. You've not been able to see them, be with them, all right? And now you just happen, while on vacation, see them. What's your response? Like, this wasn't planned. You, you, you walk in, and they just happen to be there. What do you do? Do you just keep walking and pretend they weren't there? Do you suddenly, like, turn and, like, run out? Do you walk up to them and just pretend like you just saw them five minutes ago? Oh, hey, how's it going? No, you would rush to them, probably hug them, ask how they're doing. Why? Because we want to be in the presence of people who are caring. Today, as we study Acts chapter 4, we're going to see what it looked like for the church Because when they had a heart for Jesus, they had a heart for caring. And we're going to see what that caring heart did within them as well as outside of them. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 4. If you are a first-time guest with us and did not bring a Bible... We're going to be putting all of the scripture on the screen so that you can read along with us, but we just encourage you to get your own Bible. Now, if you want to download one to your phone and use that, by all means, do so. If uh, you want your own uh, copy in paper form, stop by our resource table. We've got some uh, two different translations back there. We'll find the one that will fit you best, and that can be your Bible, not just to use here on Sundays, but to use any day. All right. Now... Last week, as we got back into our series in the book of Acts, we did all of chapter three and half of chapter four. It was one big, long story. We ended at verse 22, so normally we would continue right on at verse 23 because it's sequential. Also, the story that starts in verse 23 is tied to what we heard last week, however, I'm going to save that section for next Sunday, and I'll explain why next Sunday. I have a specific purpose. So that means we're going to skip that section, and we're going to jump down to verse 32. And after I dove in and started studying this week, I realized this was a far better passage for Mother's Day anyway. So we're going to do verse 32 to the end of the chapter. So chapter 4, 32 through 37. So hopefully you found it by now. Let me read aloud as you silently read along. and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. A few weeks ago, Leanne and I were out running some errands and uh, decided to just swing through uh, a restaurant and uh, get some food. And uh, the, the gal that came to help us Leanne recognized as a former student. And so Leanne immediately says hi, and you can kind of see on the face of the girl, she didn't recognize Leanne. Uh, have you ever been someplace and you see someone, but it's out of context, so you can't quite place them? And so I thought that's what was going on. And Leanne could tell as well. And so Leanne says, no, it, it's me, Mrs. Bird, and, and says the girl's name. And the girl was, oh, no, no, I'm not them. That's my sister. My name is this. And Leanne feels a little embarrassed. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, no, no, that's okay. People get us confused all the time because we look so much alike. As we were reading Acts 4, 32 through 37, if you found yourself thinking, wait, haven't we heard this before? It's because this is kind of like the sibling section of chapter two. At the end of March, as we were finishing up chapter two, we heard about what I titled the sermon, the function of the church. We saw what the church was doing. And what we saw there, though, we're seeing it echoed here in in Acts 4. Now, because of 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says that all Scripture has been breathed out by God, we know that all Scripture is important. However, when God repeats himself, he's got a purpose behind it. You see, back in chapter 2, we saw what the church was doing. What we, what we did was we sh- showed you uh, the, the pathway, the discipleship pathway that Riverwood has. Gather, grow, give, go. We saw that the, the first church was gathering together for worship. They were growing by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, so growing through the scriptures. They, they were giving of their finances, their influence, their skills, and their time. And then they were going into their neighborhoods, out to work, just wherever they went, they were sharing and living the gospel. Gather, grow, give, go. But whereas that was the function of the church, what they were doing, here we get a little bit more of the heart behind the gather, grow, give, go. This is a bit more of why and some of the culture and attitude that was existing there. So yes, there are parallel passages, but we're going to get down a little deeper and hear and see. To help you to kind of discover this for yourself, I just want to walk you through a very basic Bible study method. Now, there are a number of Bible study methods out there um, if you want, you can go on the Riverwood website, uh, go to our blog, scroll down, and you'll find a series called How to Study the Bible. And in that series, we just walk you through a number of different Bible study methods. But the one we're going to use today is just simply known as the inductive Bible study method. Right? In an inductive Bible study, you do three things, observation, interpretation, and application. In other words, you're going to ask yourself three questions. What do I see? Second, what does this mean? And then third, what should I therefore do? All right, so let's apply this here. The first thing we need to do is observe. When you begin to observe a passage, one tip is to look for any repetition or patterns. Repeated words, repeated ideas, uh, words that you know were like synonyms of one another, even progression. Uh, this last Wednesday in youth group, we ended up in uh, Psalm chapter one. We, we studied verses one through three as part of the series we're doing uh, right now. And verse one of Psalm one says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so as we as a youth group were talking about this, we just began to observe what do we see in this. And, and we quickly identified the progression. If you notice it there, it's walk Then stand, then sit. And one of the teens, I can't remember which one, kind of identified like, oh, you're getting more and more comfortable with the people who are opposed to God, the, the wicked, the scoffers, the sinners. And the more comfortable you get with them, the more comfortable you get with their mindset, and pretty soon you start taking that on and adopting that as well. And we were able to get that just by simply observing. So let's observe Acts 4. As you have that open there, just take a moment. What do you see? What repeated words or repeated ideas, concepts, do you see any progressions? Just kind of glance through there. What do you see? For me, this past week, as I began to do this thing to prepare to, to this sermon, to me, there was this big, glaring, flashing neon sign in this passage. I could not get away from it and that was the caring heart of the church. As I began working through it, I I saw this caring heart coming through so strongly. The New Oxford Dictionary defines uh, care this way. The provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something. That is exactly what we see happening here. We see not just the apostles, we see the people providing and protecting for the emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of everybody. They were caring. This uh, past uh, Wednesday in our uh, elder meeting, Ed uh, Pavlik, one of our elders, led us in a uh, discussion on the idea of visitation. Uh, A few, what, a month, two months ago, grandma uh, passed away. And uh, in that whole process, the pastor from grandma's church came and was just there for like three hours. And, and it really made an impact on Ed. And because Ed takes his role as an elder very seriously here, he just started wondering, is this something that I, as a pastor elder, need to do at Riverwood? Just go and visit people and just like be with them. But then he started thinking, but if that's what something he should do, is that something that we as an elder team Should be doing. So he said, Hey, let's put this on the agenda. It was there for a couple weeks, and we finally got to it this last Wednesday. And Matt Townsley, who leads our our meetings, just said, All right, Ed, visitation, take it away. And Ed started by reading from James, James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Ed said this verse has just been sitting on him. He's just been ruminating on it. He just can't get away from it. This idea of visiting the afflicted, identified mostly by widows and orphans, these people who are unprotected, unprovided for, and to go and visit them and be with them and help them. But as we began working through it, it dawned on us. This is not written to just pastors, elders. This is written to the church. Now, there are some scriptures that are written directly to pastors and elders. I mean, Paul write, wrote three letters, pastoral epistles, two to Timothy, one to Titus. Uh, Peter, in 1 in Peter chapter 5, he talks directly to elders. But James does not do that here. He's talking to the church in general, to anyone who would say they are a follower of Jesus. They need to be employing this kind of religion, this ministry, this care, to the afflicted, the overlooked, the ignored. And that's what we see in Acts 4. It wasn't just the apostles bringing this care. It didn't start and stop with them. It was the entire church. This was a whole culture of care. Or as I'm saying today, it was a collective caring heart. I have four observations that I saw that this caring collective heart does. First one is that this caring collective heart brings unity. A collective, caring heart brings unity. Notice verse 32, the first half of it. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. He doesn't give a caveat in there of, well, except for that one or two percent. No, it's the whole, the full number of them were of one heart, one soul, one mind. This theme of unity isn't just in Acts 4, nor just even throughout the entire book of Acts. This theme of unity is throughout the entire scripture. The New Testament over and over and over encourages churches to be unified. Ephesians 4, 3, we are told to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. Romans 15, 5, we hear, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Even Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in the garden, right before he's arrested and taken to the cross, he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. I, I, I could go on. I mean, you find the theme of unity in the book of Philippians, in 1 Corinthians, in the book of James. I mean, it is all over the, the uh, New Testament. And we see it right here in Acts but what luke wants us to see that this kind of unity it comes about because of the caring heart of the people think about it for a second selfish hearts push people away caring hearts draw people in uh, this past week, well, I, I I don't know if I told you guys. I know I told the youth group Wednesday, but I, I've been off Twitter for like three, four weeks, um, just been taking a break. But that used to be my primary source. I know, shocking, isn't it? Uh, yeah, miracles still happen. Um, so I uh, um, have been kind of out of touch with uh, what's been happening in the world. And, and when my wife says, oh, hey, have you heard about this? And I say no, right, things have totally flipped because it's usually me explaining things to her. And so I realized, okay, I probably should like just go and Scan some headlines. So I opened the Apple News app on my phone and scrolling through. And I clearly had gotten through the most important stuff because I, I got to what I just consider junk news, primarily BuzzFeed. Uh, if you're not familiar with BuzzFeed, it's mostly like culture, celebrities, food, whatever. And I had not spent much time on BuzzFeed. But this headline jumped out because of what I was going to be talking today. The headline said, the 34 best and worst interactions with celebrities. And before I even opened it, I knew what I was going to find. And sure enough, there was the proof I needed. People were talking about these great interactions with these celebrities. What made them so great? The celebrity was kind, took selfies with them, asked them questions, even gave them like extended time, stayed late, stayed after. Like It was just that caring heart. And these people just found themselves drawn to these celebrities. So impressed. And yet, other interactions were very, very negative, identifying that, this celebrity was mean, they were a jerk, they treated, you know, talked down to me, the way they treated their staff or the the people in their entourage. And and it's just like, I want nothing to do with them. A selfish heart pushes you away. But if you've been part of a church, you kind of know this. If you've ever been in a church where some people have just gotten really, really selfish, really, really demanding, whether in leadership or not, you start sensing and feeling the unity of that church crumbling. And, and new people do not want to come and be a part of that. They, they can sense it. And yet, if you've walked into a church and you sense these people like, actually like, really love and care for one another, and yet you also sense they also want to love and care for you, man, you want to be part of that church. Because selfish hearts push people away, but caring hearts draw people in and bring unity. So that's the first thing I see. Collective caring heart brings unity. The second thing I see is that a collective caring heart focuses on others. Focuses on others. Look at the second half of verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. It's inspiring to read that verse. But we do not live this out in America. Like this is... Unfathomable. We are so individualistic and materialistic that what is mine is mine and what is yours is yours. And yet, what Luke is telling us is that the church is living as no, this isn't mine, this is ours. Leanne and I just had the joy of experiencing this this past weekend. Uh, we moved Salem, our, our son home. He completed his first year of college. Way to go, dude. Good job. And so it meant he's done, he's got to come back. Iowa State isn't going to just let him live there for free. So Leanne was going to head over and and bring him home. Well, this last year, he decided to join the triathlon club, and he didn't have a a great road bike, and so the club is allowing him to bring a bike home. Well, that meant he was going to be two bikes home, and then we started thinking through everything else, and we started fearing we're not going to be able to fit all of this in our minivan. And so we need something else. So Leanne just reaches out to the Beduras. Many of you know Corian Cheryl here in the Riverwood family, and she just said, hey, could we borrow your truck? Without hesitation, yeah, you bet." And then they just said, "Oh, you know, Saturday's going to be a pretty busy day for us. Could we borrow a car back?" Sure, here you go. Have our van. And they have teenage drivers. But so do we. Uh, so it, it's, it's OK. <laughs> but they didn't even hesitate because they did not have this mindset of, "Oh no, 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 that, that's our truck. No, it's, no, that, this is our truck. It was for all of us. They were willing to focus on others. When you have this kind of caring heart and you focus on others, it leads to the third observation. A collective caring heart gives generously. Collective caring heart gives generously. Um, When you focus on others and you begin to see their need, you can't help but want to be a part of filling that need. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. Skip down to verse 34. There is not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is not just giving 20 bucks even though you've got tens of thousands sitting in the bank. This is extreme generosity. This is selling land, giving a house, Selling off a car that's just sitting in the driveway because I don't need this. And they don't have. And so they give generously of this to help make sure that no one has a need. They give generously. But have you ever heard the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words? And we could talk about generosity, even be inspired by by it, But sometimes we need to see it actually happening. And it's like Luke knows that. So he gives us a picture. This is uh, verses 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, why do you think Luke takes the time to identify Joseph? I mean, because after all, there, there are a number of people doing this. That's what we get in 34 and 35. And in, here in a couple of weeks, when we get into chapter 5, we're going to see a couple attempting to do the same thing. So, so why take the time to give two verses to, to Joseph? Well, because a picture is worth a thousand words, Joseph was actually doing it. But he did it so much, he was living out this caring heart so vividly that he actually got a nickname. We actually give people nicknames typically because of like the way they look or maybe a play off their, their name. Barnabas gets a nickname. i mean, sorry, Joseph gets a nickname because of who he is, Barnabas. Luke defines it for us, son of encouragement. How would you like to have a nickname given to you? Because you're just so awesome. Like that's how incredible Barnabas is. Now, I I think Luke also identifies him for us because we're gonna see Barnabas several times here in the book of Acts. So this is his introduction to us. But he was the picture of all that was taking place in the church. He typified this caring heart that was bringing unity. It was focusing on others and it was giving generously. Now, I said I had four observations. But before I get to the fourth observation, I, I wanna put a pause here and I wanna go back to our Bible study method. Remember, we're doing observation, interpretation, application, right? We've been doing some observing, so let's just take a moment and and let's go to interpretation and application, right? Let's ask, what does this mean? Everything we've heard so far, everything we've seen, what does this mean? And so therefore, what should we do? Well, we're hearing about a church. We're hearing how the first church was living out their lives. Well, we are a church. If you consider yourself part of the Riverwood family, we are a church And so therefore, this means we should be living these things out. We should be a church that is unified. We should be a church that is focusing on others. We should be a church that is giving generously. What what makes it easy to talk about these things is I'm thrilled that I'm part of a church that wants to live these things out and is doing everything it can to live these things out. I'm not going to bed at night, sitting there sleeping, you know, losing sleep because so and so is having an argument here or, you know, these sort of things are going on. And I'm so grateful for that. But what we have to realize that if this is being written to a church, the church is the redeemed people of God living under the headship of Jesus on the mission God has given them. It's individuals. We can't just say, well, the church should do that. Because in order for the church to do that, it means I, as part of the church, have to do that. So therefore, this means that I have to at times set aside my preferences for the sake of unity. That I need to set aside some of my own desires and wants to focus on others. That I need to sometimes sacrifice of what I have to give generously to help others. If we're gonna see the church do this, I have to do this. And that's where we have to get brutally honest. Because that's hard. I mean, yeah, you guys are doing it, but it's easy to do it in the short term. It, it, it's easy to, okay, you know what, I, I can set my, my preferences aside for this season. But, but what this is asking us to do is to make this a lifestyle. This is long term. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I can focus on someone else, but what about when you feel like no one's focusing on you? Uh, okay, I, I'll give generously one time to this capital campaign well, what about when you're worried that you're not going to have enough for retirement or you don't feel like you even have enough to fill the gas tank? How are you supposed to do these sort of things day in, day out, not just for a season? And you know what complicates things? Is we live in a culture that regularly tells us to be true to yourself. We, We are regularly told that we need to focus on our own mental health and our own physical health. And I am not asking you to ignore your mental health or physical health. But too often, we use that as a shield, as an excuse to not show unity. Focus on others. Give generously. Because, well, I, I'm just trying to take care of me. I think there's a way for us to take care of me and yet do these things. And I think it's found in the fourth observation. My fourth observation is that a collective caring heart comes from Jesus. Jesus. Collective caring heart comes from Jesus. Look at verse 33 with me. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Did you hear it? Great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Everything they are teaching, everything they are saying, I would dare say everything they are doing is pointing at Christ. Have you ever met someone that just on first impression, you just kind of get a sense, you know what they're all about? I mean, sometimes you meet someone and you make certain assumptions, then you discover you're really, really wrong. And we need those really humbling moments. But sometimes, admit it, when you meet the guy with the great big bushy beard, He's got a bandana on his head, he's wearing a leather vest, he's all in black, you just know he rides Harleys. Like, you just know it. Or other people, you meet them, you, you kind of know this is their sport, or, or that she's all about her sexuality, or he's all about this political viewpoint, or she's all about this specific, particular hobby, or he's really into that genre. Like, just everything about them, all that they talk about, the way they dress, the bumper stickers on the car, everything seems to be screaming, this is what I am about, The apostles were living in such a way, teaching in such a way, as to say, this is what I'm all about. I am all about Jesus. So my question to you, not to throw guilt on you, but just to challenge you, just everything about you scream, I follow Jesus. Obviously, that question is for someone who would say, I am a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose again from the dead. That that identifies me. But do those around you know that? Now I'm not asking you to become obnoxious, I'm not asking you to take up a bullhorn, stand on the street corner, I'm not asking you to change, you know, certain things that you wear so that they are, you know, loud and proud. But is everything about your demeanor, everything about your presence, everything about your words, reveal that you are all about the death and resurrection of Jesus? When your life is all about Christ, when this is what everything about you is pointed at him, here is the outflow of that. It's the last half of verse 33. And great grace was upon them all. Listen to that again. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. I want Riverwood Church to be a place of great grace. A place where his grace is upon us all. And we see that grace in the way we treat one another. That we don't define people based upon what happened back in their college days or what happened back last year or even what happened back last week. That we aren't a place that makes fun of people because they don't understand certain things about the Bible or they don't understand certain things about Christianity. a, a place where we don't overlook the struggles that other people are going through or judge them because of that. We would be a place of great grace. And we can be that place because God has given us great grace. Too often we try to compare ourselves with the worst, but what God asks us to do is compare ourselves to the best, and the best was Jesus. And yet, the scriptures are clear that all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. He's the standard. And when we realize that he forgives us when we fell so short of that standard, then we can give grace to our fellow man and to show God's love and care and giving them great grace. Because when you live with that kind of great grace, you begin to reflect the heart of God And the heart of God is a caring heart. And it is that great grace that is going to help bring unity. It's that great grace that helps you to focus on others while trusting God to help take care of your situation. It's that great grace that allows you to give generously, trusting that God will provide everything you need. For us to live this out, to be this kind of church, to continue to be who God's called us to be, it's going to start with Jesus and all of us are going to get to be a part of it. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would continue to make Riverwood this kind of church. I am so grateful that you've been doing so much of this. It is so just touching and awe-inspiring to me to hear the way my church family has, has sought to be unified. The way they focus on one another. The, the way they, they've given generously. Lord, may you take us deeper. May we be this even more so. And that we wouldn't just do it with our closest friends, but that we would do it with all. That truly, that we, the full number, would be of one heart and one mind. That we would be solely focused upon you, Christ. And that because of that, your great grace would come upon us and flow through us. Because Jesus, you did everything that we saw, see the church doing here. You longed for, you prayed for our unity you focused on others. You didn't focus on yourself. You were the God of the universe, and yet you still put us first in your heart. And you then gave generously, not just financially, not just with your time or your teaching. You gave your very life for us. So because you have given, bestowed such great grace upon us, help us to give that grace to one another, and to those who are new to our church family, those who are outside of our church family, may you just make this the culture of Riverwood. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because this is the call for us as a church, we've got to go to the cross. Jesus is the one who lived this, typified this, and so that's why I invite you to the communion elements. Uh, If you are a first-time guest with us, we celebrate communion almost every single Sunday. It, it gives us a chance to respond. The great thing about it is even if my sermon or whoever it teaches, it just stinks, at least we get to go to the cross. We are reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so if you're a first-time guest and you know the story, you've made the story of Jesus' death and resurrection the center of your life, you, this is how you identify, then we invite you to this table. You don't have to have cleaned everything up. You don't have to have, have, have done everything right this past week. We come as broken people who want to be unified, who want to focus on others, who want to to live this way, and yet our sinfulness, our selfishness always gets in the way. So we come to confess, to remember, to thank God, to worship him, and to leave, to follow Christ, to live like him and love like him. So if that's you, we invite you to come. But if you're a first-time guest and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to just ask that you very respectfully not come to these elements. Not because we're trying to keep something from you. It's because we believe that God has something better for you. You see, these elements represent the body and blood of Jesus. That when you take these things into you, you are saying the story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is now the center of who I am. And so if that's not you, we're in a sense setting you up to be a liar. And we don't want that. Instead, we would invite you during the song to just pray. Ask God, is this all true? Did God love you so much he sent his one and only son and that whoever would believe in him, believe upon his cross, believe upon that empty tomb, believe that he rose again from the dead and lives to this day, if it's true, give your life to him. We started Riverwood Church, not just to help people who know Jesus go deeper with him. We also started Riverwood Church to help people just like you to give your life to him. And we would love nothing more than for today, this Mother's Day, to be your spiritual birthday. That you would be that adopted child of God. You would become a kid of grace. But if you are already that kid of grace, would you come? Come and worship. Come and remember. Come and thank him. And come and ask him to help you to live out what we've heard. That you too would be part of that Acts 4 church. To help us be who God calls us to be. So let us go now and do this in remembrance of him.